0: Hi, I'm Anthony
1: and I'm Josh and welcome to 52 and 52. If this is your first time listening to our podcast. Uh, Anthony and I, we go see movies and then we talk about them. The name comes from the fact that we initially kind of started out with the goal of seeing 52 movies, one for each week in the year. We added the little question mark on because we've already surpassed that for this year. This week we've talked about, or this week we saw uh, Aaron Sorkin and Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs and a movie called Gem and the Holograms. I think Primarily, we're going to focus on Steve Jobs today, but we're going to also talk a little bit about Jim at the end because yeah, we had some thoughts we wanted to say about that as well. Uh, but first of all, we're going to start with Steve Jobs, which the name kind of tells you what the movie is, is about, but I think Anthony can elaborate a little bit more on us because it was done in an unconventional way, and I think we want to talk a little about the structure and then, our th- and, then and then kind of get into our uh, thoughts about it as well. So, Anthony, can you tell us how, th- how this movie was very uh, kind of uniquely put together for a biopic
0: yeah yeah so the way they designed it was that they went through the launch of three different um products the with steve jobs um 1984's launch of the macintosh the original macintosh that steve jobs was trying to do um 1988 uh, when steve jobs is working for next and is releasing something called the cube and the last segment of the movie is 1998 with the release of the iMac so this movie is done by Aaron Sorkin. Um, and in, if you haven't seen any reviews or anything without knowing, you would absolutely know it was done by Aaron Sorkin by <laughs> the conversations and the way the movie was done and everything else. Uh, Josh wanted me to go first because he prob- he thought that I probably would have a stronger take on the movie because uh, I really don't like Aaron Sorkin very much. I actually thought this movie was fine. I don't think that it deserves... Ninety, whatever the, all the positive reviews that it that it has, ninety three percent. I would tomatoes. probably give it a a thumbs up instead of a thumbs down, but yep. I would put it somewhere. Okay, so you're more a, positive on it than I expected. Sure, yeah, I'd probably put it somewhere in the fifty sixty percent range, okay, ish. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Aaron Sorkin does his whole thing in the movie. I, I mean, there's just a lot of conversations. Uh, everything is just it's so Aaron Sorkin. That's the thing that I, I really couldn't get past.
1: Okay, well, I went into it kind of expecting to just think that he – I knew about the three-act structure. I think a a couple of our friends we saw it with didn't know it was going to be heading in that direction exactly and thought it might – maybe they thought it was going to be a more traditional biopic. And I'm fine with finding unique ways to do things. I like when it's more just kind of a slice of that person's life instead of trying to tell their entire life story because those get pretty routine and – not so creative so I, I liked the idea and doing it a little differently but when i heard it was going to be i actually heard the specifics that it was going to be backstage at three product launches so i thought this was going to be an opportunity for aaron sorkin to just completely go full sorkin and be like a worse version of birdman if you will and just have people talking talking and talking backstage and i thought wow i'm the last big thing Sorkin did I didn't really enjoy in the newsroom, and this this could just be a two-hour version of the newsroom, and I'm going to hate it because he's just going to use <laughs> it as an opportunity to preach for two hours, and that didn't really bother me as much. The walk and talking, because that's his signature thing, the walk and talk, it didn't bother me as much as I thought it would, and I think it's because the dialogue was actually pretty crisp and not too, not too stereotypically quippy and trying to be too cute, and I thought it was pretty actually well-written, com- very much so compared to the newsroom, so... That's not what actually bothered me about this movie as much. I, while yes, you can tell it's an Aaron Sorkin thing, I thought that his writing was just strong enough that th- that wasn't the thing that actually bothered me the most.
0: Yeah, I didn't say it was the worst thing, but it, yeah. it definitely was full Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> the The conversations were good. I actually laughed a couple times. Like, I I didn't really think I would laugh at very many Aaron Sorkin jokes. Uh, but it was it was fine. The walk and talk thing didn't bother me except for the let's walk and talk every time that they were doing it kind of thing it made sense in the context the, it, yeah it, sure it made sense in the context of the movie but i mean, it was it, it was fine i, I i'm not going to criticize it for that it was it, it wasn't anything that took me out of it or anything like that did did you prefer having a this th-
1: very very distinct three act setup as opposed to maybe just getting like the Steve Jobs life story did you like that they went for that even if you, maybe you didn't think the execution was 100% there. Are you glad we got this version of it as opposed to here's them in the garage and we're going to spend 45 minutes on that, and then here's them first being successful, and then here's the downfall, and then here's – did you like that we got a, a more concise two-hour version of this as opposed to an entire beginning-to-end thing for Steve Jobs?
0: Sure. I thought I thought the segmentation was fine. I didn't really have any problems with the design of it. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that some of it wasn't done as well as they could have done, I think Fassbender was was fine at. at I think he kind of pushed it like into a stronger place than maybe someone else would have. Um, but no, I, I, I like the segmentation. It was different, like you said, relative to other biopics. Um, I, what other? What, what, what do we see? Straight out of Compton biopic this year. Yeah, uh, Selma. Mm-hmm. And Selma, Selma was,
1: I guess, what I was thinking of. It just wasn't quick, when I when coming to my head when I said, as opposed to getting like a full life story. Selma yeah. told an interesting portion yeah. of the civil rights movement, as opposed to trying to give, make it all about Martin Luther King and his life story. So yeah. that was kind of what I really enjoyed about that movie. It kind of focused, was a little more focused.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, I think that it could have been mo- more focused here. I, th- I just kind of think it was lacking, like depth, almost. I, I appreciated what they were trying to do. I just feel like nothing was really, uh, I don't know, like discussed more than anything else. It was all like, hey, all right, we have these things we want to talk about. Let's talk about them in equal shares. It's kind of surface-level conversations. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like, I, I would figure Sorkin of all people would kind of just like go into the depths of everybody and minus Steve Jobs and Fastbender they didn't really do that. And I think they kind of muddled the background even for, even for Steve Jobs' character.
1: And that was, I guess, one of my probably my bigger problem which I guess it's hard to say exactly how accurate I haven't read the book that this is based on it was based on a book kind of about Steve Jobs but I don't I think that book wasn't necessarily also about three product launches I think this is the way Aaron Sorkin decided he wanted to do it I read enough about the making of this film to know that but I also don't know if how accurate it was as far as he absolutely had these conversations with these important people in his life, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, every time before he went on stage for the biggest moments of his career. So that feels a little bit contrived. And then at a certain point, it's like maybe you could have left one of these conversations out, and then just kind of develop these characters a little bit more. And we can talk. We're going to talk a little bit more about the performances later because uh, I have a lot. We have a lot to say on those. But. Aside from how you or I feel about Jeff Daniels, I really thought that it eventually kind of felt like they were trying to give each of these actors their turn to get as many Best Supporting Actor or Actress nominations as possible for the Golden Globes and the Oscars. So you know you're going to see each of these people pop up, and it came up in the most contrived way in the second act with Jeff Daniels, and that probably bothered me more than any other point in the movie. He's just sitting at a chair by himself in the middle of a hallway and then calls out his name. It's like, really? Really? This is how he confronts him. He just happens to be sitting by himself in a hallway that he knows he's going to walk through. And then they have this whole back and forth about... uh, Jeff Daniels plays the CEO of Apple, and they have this whole back and forth about who forced who out at Apple at that point. And it felt very unnecessary, and it felt like that could have been relegated to a few lines where they just make it clear that Steve Jobs lost a power struggle and he's gone. And then you take that time, maybe, and you develop a little more about his relationship with his daughter or maybe his relationship with Steve Wozniak, one of the two, cause- Seth Lurgan is probably giving one of the more compelling performances. And the actors that they got to play his daughter at various points in his actresses they got to play his daughter at various points in his life were all really good. And I feel like that was richer material right there that you could have mined. And instead they felt like they need to go to they need to go to each actor for equal time for each segment. And that was probably the one thing that bothered me most about the structure.
0: Yeah, I'll say one thing is that like you said, I don't know I really don't know much about the background or yeah. but I definitely learned about him and about what happened with apple and next mm-hmm. and back to apple and all that i i didn't really know all of that yeah to that detail yeah, yeah and it was interesting and i was not bored or anything mm-hmm. um but like you said the i didn't know about him and the ceo of apple at the, at the time uh, which Jeff daniel's character played and i really didn't care <laughs> like a lot of the things during i think the movie, they thought we were finding this a lot more compelling than they were yeah a, a lot of times during the movie i just sat there and i just said like why like I just don't know why I was seeing what I was seeing for so long. Like you said, they have this scene where Jeff Daniels is just sitting in this chair, and they're, like, doing these... The, actually, one thing that really bothered me was these, like, random half-second flashbacks to just random points in his life, and they were doing these flashbacks with him and Jeff Daniels, which I almost would have rather seen that, the whole flashback, play out in a scene rather than them talking... In the present day? Or, yeah, yeah, then yeah. then in the present day, especially with... Especially with him in the boardroom, before um, when he gets fired or quits or whatever you want to call it,
1: because that scene was such a snippet of something that might. Yeah, have been interesting I think as a that whole. was. Yeah. I think
0: it would have been an interesting scene, and I think it's important to both of their character developments and what they were trying to say going forward with each one. And they kind of just like gave us a, t- also, a minute on it, and that's and then it's like this is what happened, and this is why they're acting that way. Well. Do you also agree with me that we could have also
1: just done away with all that stuff? But if you're going to do it, that's probably the better way to do yeah, it. I yeah, yeah, the, for yeah. sure.
0: Like you said, I, I th- personally, in my, like, what I believe is, I think the, inter- the relationship between him and Wozniak is very interesting, and mm-hmm. in how that developed over the 15 year period from when he was first at Apple until he came back. And I, I even, I, I don't know, I really didn't like the way he, Seth Rogen was really good, but I'm not sure I like the way they talked about him. It was very weird. The way Jobs talked about Wozniak? Yeah, they, everyone, like, they called him, like, Rain Man, and they're, like, making fun of him and stuff, and I don't know, it kind of just bothered me.
1: Yeah, well, I think that was his way of just saying he was an eccentric genius. Jobs wasn't very self-aware, and he's trying to call this guy weird, but, like, he's yeah. really equally weird himself. Yeah, sure, I, I guess. I don't think it was quite as cruel. I think it was just more dismissive than cruel, almost. Yeah. But it's like, this guy founded Apple with you, like... Why, why, why is your relationship this way? Like, that exactly. would have been more interesting. That's what, that's what I'm it saying. It would have been more interesting to figure out how it got to that point. That would have been a flashback worth having more so than all this stuff with the Jeff Daniels. Yeah, movie.
0: we didn't need 45 minutes in the garage with them, but maybe mm-hmm. 15 minutes. Yeah. I wouldn't have minded it's, rather than r- f- 15 minutes of five different three minute flashbacks mm-hmm. of them in the garage at random points, which really don't add anything to the movie. They're just there.
1: And the other thing is, I think a lot of the stuff they were trying to tell us about jobs with all these boardroom scenes and the struggle for the company I think all of that stuff about his personality was conveyed in the present day scenes. Yeah, it was repetitive, that's what I would say. You already saw how insistent he was on doing things his way with the machines and how he felt like his products needed more investment because there's all this stuff about him and Wozniak, which is very, they're very well done scenes about them arguing about giving the Apple II more attention, giving it more credit and that's pretty much what what, what the stuff came down to with regards to the boardroom scenes and him getting thrown out. It was all about the Apple II and it was just now you're just getting him arguing about a different character with it and with slightly different consequences but the consequences are still tied to him being a lot dismi- very dismissive about the apple II early on like it's all kind of related to the same stuff so that's more repetitive whereas you could have just given us more of something else instead of that
0: yeah i agree i, I just think the tone was kind of shifting a lot of places mm-hmm. and then ends up being this like the same everywhere and it was it was kind of annoying Okay, well, I think now we've, we've
1: kind of talked about how, what, they, what the plot focused on, our thoughts on that, and the structures of it. But, uh, and we talked and we actually gave Sorkin credit for a lot of things, too, at the same time. But I think uh, one thing that maybe you weren't as crazy about were some of the parallels to the social network and, and just that and just the other kind of maybe the not-good Sorkin that seeped into this. And I want to get your thoughts on that because that was something that you and both of our friends, I think, kind of picked out of this a lot more quickly than I did.
0: Yeah, I think the first thing is we were walking out of the theater, and our friend Matt said, "Oh yeah, he took that line from from this, and, and the same character, and this character said it in Steve Jobs." And I was like, "That's exactly how I feel." I think that's like a common criticism of Sorkin is he just takes his own stuff and puts it back into his new stuff, which is is fine theoretically, but I feel like you, you should express it differently. Not, I don't even mean like literally differently, but you should just have like a new take on things. Um, I thought that Fassbender's character was just like Jesse Eisenberg's character in Social Network, just a little bit older. Uh, I, I, honestly, I just feel like their temperament was the exact same, and he just took took the same ideas and just put them on Fassbender. Uh, I think that Kate Winslet's character was, again, just like Mackenzie McHale from The Newsroom, and uh, uh, I, I don't remember her the actress's name that plays Mackenzie McHale, but... Uh, I, Emily I, Mortimer. Yeah, Emily Mortimer, exactly. And... It's just it's just annoying, and I just think – I wrote in my notes um, – uh, I said, Sorkin can't write female characters anymore with a question mark because I think that – I don't know if he's ever written a good one yeah, besides CJ Craig on The West Wing. On The think- West Wing, and I think that that's, that's the biggest problem is just like – I just don't know – why he keeps doing this? Like she's the exact same character as Mackenzie McHale, and it's this—it's the same focus, and she—it's like she's doing all of his dirty work, and like—and the only one that gets him, the only one he can, t- like, just like she's there as a vehicle for him to talk to, to tell us things rather than them doing something about it
1: yeah i i, I disagree well i don't disagree I, I i agree that there are some similarities between uh the, the steve jobs depiction and the mark zuckerberg depiction but i don't knock sorkin for that i think by all accounts these are both two eccentric guys that didn't necessarily treat the people around them with respect or the or the uh attention they deserve they're very self-absorbed and i thought the performances The i thought it was a, a different enough performance that that wasn't something that jumped out to me but i found the joanna hoffman character played by kate winslet i found that troubling and i, I actually didn't especially in retrospect because i didn't the Mackenzie McHale thing didn't jump out to me when i was watching but when you mentioned it to me that is more troubling because i think we know that this woman he wouldn't have kept her around if she didn't like he, she, she was with him for almost his entire career by all counts, uh, from us what we saw in the movie and i'm guessing after that for some time so he doesn't keep this woman around if she's not good at something. And we don't actually see her being good at anything, just like we don't see Mackenzie McHale being good on the newsroom at different things. She's there to uh, kind of defend Will McAvoy, and she f- randomly freaks out at times when she Puts gets him upset. in this place. She's the only
0: she, one that can kind of can, but like, like, tell him she, things straight but up. Still, or... it's always
1: framed like him being right a lot exactly, of the times. So yeah, yeah. But then she like would ran- randomly have these things where she shrieks and goes crazy in the newsroom like this. This woman doesn't get to be a senior producer for a big-time network if she's just walking around shrieking and freaking out about stuff in her personal life at work. She does it because she gets to that point because she's good at her job, and we didn't see Mackenzie McHale ever being that good at her job. And just like we don't really see her being that good at her job like you said she's there to put him in her place and that's all that we're supposed to respect her for it's like why don't, she's also the head of marketing for like a massive product launch show her doing good things besides correcting some other person's mistake to pass out some magazines like that's like the one thing we see her doing yeah. there's so many other things they could have just shown her doing that showed this person's good at her job and we didn't really get that. And then we have a random freak out oh, in, in the about third, that. in the third act like, her it. big scene where they're like, we're going to go get Winslet. Her Oscar nomination is another thing where she randomly freaks out about how she's always really disrespected, how really troubled her, how Steve Jobs treats his daughter. And it's like, that's fine, and we kind of saw her encouraging him to have more of a relationship with her. But this kind of just comes out of nowhere, and yeah. like I said, it feels like it's there just to get her th- some attention from the Oscar voters.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no character motivation for that at all within the movie. It's not earned for me at all, and it's it's just Sorkin's tool, I guess, that he's using. But it's it's completely unnecessary. I understand why like someone would need to. Uh, I get get to this extreme point with Steve Jobs about his daughter, but at the same time, I think that they kind of muffled the thing with the daughter too. And they did it very well, I thought, for the first two acts. I thought sure, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a decent
1: transition, but there was just a very big gap in the yeah ten year gap. Like a lot happens there, and it's like I get that you wanted to do this three act thing, but maybe you could have just like taken a little more time away from that third product launch and showed us exactly what happened with the relationship because it's clear. They've gotten a lot closer, but it, we can't exactly infer why that happened. Yeah,
0: exactly, and that's what I'm saying is he starts. The thing that I thought with the third act was that they they like cut to the third act and they give this illusion that he's a different guy. Steve Jobs is a different guy, and that he's almost like a better guy because he's giving this uh, what do you call it pra- um, rehearsal for the the product launch. And he's joking and, about it. Yeah, being and he's, a little self aware. He's joking and he's being really nice and mm-hmm. he's making jokes and he's like thanking people. And then 10 minutes later, he's back to the guy that was in 88, and it's like, okay, what's the character doing now? Like, I, I understand that it's like a biopic, and you can't change who people are, but at the same time, I just think that and it can't they, be didn't, th- they th- didn't make the character dynamic at all at that point.
1: Yeah, and you don't want to make a, a three-hour movie, but we've already kind of discussed how there are things they could have taken a little bit away from, and then just maybe filled in a few more of these gaps, and it would have... Uh, made everything seem a little more cohesive by the end whereas we we were we were left trying to connect a few dots on our own when it probably would have been a more uh
0: complete story if that wasn't the case. Yeah. What did you think about the Catherine Waterston character?
1: Uh, that I mean well that, that's another thing where like you you can't I'm not going to criticize Sorkin for uh writing that woman character poorly cuz this is based on a this is based on a true story and maybe there it very may well have been that this woman who plays uh, the mother of the child that steve jobs is trying to disown for the first two-thirds of the movie and she's trying to get child support from him and trying to get money and it kind of becomes clear as he keeps he'd, he'd eventually re, re, jobs relents and gives her the child support and eventually but then it becomes clear that like she has some deeper emotional issues and the daughter becomes a little worried about having to live with her and even tells Steve when he's still not even claiming to be her father that she wants to come live with him so like it's it's supposed to become clear to us that she has some serious issues and maybe that person very much did but maybe a little too much of that happened off screen too
0: yeah yeah i would agree i think that the three, the the segmentation thing is interesting because when you like limit yourself to something it it spawns creativity which is cool but at the same time when you limit yourself to this this backstage segmentation, then you can't have anything outside of that. And aside from the flashbacks, yeah. Aside from the flashbacks, flashbacks which they were, didn't want to show
1: any, they didn't want to show anything in present day that wasn't there, and
0: that yeah. would have helped with
1: some of this stuff with the mother of the child. Yeah,
0: and to that point, the thing that I had the biggest problem with in relation to that was the uh, the scene with Steve Jobs and Andy Hertzfeld. I don't know. How Hertz, how you say it, Hertzfeld it Hertzfeld? Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the at, in the third act when they're talking about paying. The daughter's tuition and it just it was so random to me because Hertz, Hertzfeld is giving this like emotional um about, speech about how close he's always about, about how close he's and, been to the family and how he's a family friend and i was I, there an,
1: was there an interaction we saw with him in the family aside from the first act where he just says oh hi hi man yeah well we know he knows them yeah, at that point because he's just like oh hi christine hi hi lisa but yeah. then he's gone i don't think we saw him yeah. interact with them at all and it, in I don't is, know. It, it's like we don't need to have everything spelled out for us, but maybe just give us a, a couple interactions earlier in the movie that yeah. kind of illustrate. Hey, this guy's kind of someone that's like actually intertwined with Steve's personal life, as opposed to just being a guy he like yells at in his professional life.
0: Yeah, and it's not even that we can't infer things as an audience mm-hmm. or we don't get it. It's just that if you're making a movie, the point is, the if you're doing it successfully, you want every character's motivation to be properly earned via what happens previously and, and for their actions to make sense, especially in a movie like this. And it just was confusing to me. Like, this guy spends $25,000 on on a girl, and it's like, wait, what? Like, that's kind of... Cre-. I was like almost like creeped out. Not like yeah. creeped out, but just like confused as to like what was going on. And then it was like such a big deal for 30 minutes of the movie. And I don't want to go off on too big
1: of a random tangent here, but we've talked a lot about character development in the last few podcasts, and how some of the movies we've seen have done it a lot better than others. Like how *Bridge of Spies* didn't do it at all. *The Martian* didn't do it at all, despite a cast full of really good actors. And but like we thought that like Sicario* did, and we, we that was right when we started this podcast. But the one movie I have kept coming back to is I'm kind of ranking our, the movies we've seen this year, and just I'm really amazed with like that did a much better job at the character development was *Mistress America*. Uh, I don't. In in Mistress America, we saw this whole second act, really like half of a movie that wasn't really that long, kind of take place at like this house of these characters that we hadn't even spent that much time with, and it could have like easily gone off the rails, but they had all these supporting characters that had at least gotten some screen time earlier in that movie, that all like had various roles to play in this last forty-five minute act. And they hadn't shown they had it wasn't a long enough movie to give a lot of them a lot of screen time but they had each had a scene or two that kind of really clearly established who these people were and what they thought of the other people in it so this last 45 minutes of Mistress of America it's like wow I can see what where each of these characters is coming from even that one neighbor that was only shown for like 10 seconds and here it's like you only, you have a lot you're, you have fewer characters to deal with yet you develop them less and it was the same thing with kind of with bridges buys and the Martian where it's like you had more time to work with and fewer characters yet you still did a worse
0: job of your character development than this hour and 30 minute indie movie yeah no i completely agree um so i think we wanted to talk about a little bit about the performances and i think we should start with well i i did i did have one other thing i wanted to kind of talk about that i thought was interesting because i want to make
1: it clear that why we why we did just criticize a bunch of different things in that section i thought one thing that i thought that was a like just i thought on aaron sorkin which for, for why I like this movie better than a couple other things he's done recently is I think one interesting thing about it is I think he does I think one of the main criticisms pe- people have had about him in the past is that especially specifically with the newsroom in the West Wing is that he gets too preachy and that was one of the things I was kind of worried about going into this movie but then I realized after we're going in that one when he's working from more specific source material I think that gives him an opportunity to or to makes it so he doesn't doesn't have the opportunity to do that. He has to be focused more on just conveying the people that he's talking about. But I think one thing I remember hearing about with the social network and why it was so good was that he didn't really have a fondness for the characters that he was writing about. Whereas like Will McAvoy is kind of like his (laughs) his microphone for espousing his political beliefs just like on the West Wing, even more so with the Democratic president. Here I thought it's just a lot easier for him to write a compelling character when it's like that guy's not perfect. While there were those similarities there, I think it's just interesting. And I think he does a better job of that. And we we talked, like last week with Bridget Pies. we were like, this guy's too perfect. And while that was a true story, it's like maybe the, maybe they, those writers were just hamstrung because they couldn't think of it, They didn't want to make up something bad about a guy. But here it's like, I think Aaron Sorkin can't limit himself in that way where he wants to, Spout off his stuff, and he can just actually focus on writing something where pretty much everything that he has to write about this guy is kind of negative. We, we all of his redeeming qualities we already know because we're sitting here on Macs and iPhones and everything, and we kind of know that. And I think that was kind of one of the strengths of this movie is that I kind of just wanted to mention is I think he's probably just a much he he can't play into his own weaknesses when he's giving us given when he's given a specific person like i didn't love moneyball but that was more because i didn't think he knew about he, i didn't think he knew <laughs> about anything baseball. about baseball i don't think he knew anything about baseball like the first scene of that movie the general manager is like in another general manager's office talking about a trade and it's just dumb but like so like maybe it's not always a true story but i think that's one thing i'd like to see him do more is like well yes you can write your own fiction but just try not to write fiction about like a guy that you want to just use as your own mouthpiece
0: yeah no you're right
1: and if you, have, you don't have anything to add to that, you disagree. No, yep. Okay. Yep. okay. I, I, I just had to add in that one rant there because that was one thought that was just kind of jumping out at me as I was kind of watching this. Um, but, yeah, we, we can we can move on to the performances now, and uh, I guess. And we already talked about Fastbender a little bit, but it seems like right now – but part of it is because we haven't seen a few – a few big movies haven't been seen by critics. But as of now, based on the movies that most people have seen, it sounds like he is the frontrunner for Best Actor did you come away from I didn't know being that. Cool? yeah I mean I, I've been reading a lot of Oscar punditry type things and I mean it's not it's an unusually weak field for that for that category this year the last couple of years there have been four or five deserving candidates that got left out that could have been a strong field by themselves and there just haven't been as many movies with a male lead that ended up being good enough to be considered this year? Like, I I, I could argue that Jake Gyllenhaal gives a better performance in Southpaw, but that's just not a good enough movie for He
0: definitely him. does.
1: But that's just not a good enough movie for him to get, uh, unfortunately, to get Oscar consideration. He might get in for the Golden Globes because a couple of the guys that are going to be in for lead might be in for comedy in the Golden Globes. But for it seems like out of the movies that have actually been reviewed well and thus have a chance to win Oscars, Fassbender's kind of the lead right now. Did you come across being that impressed with his performance?
0: Um... I mean, he was good. I, I don't. I. I wouldn't say it was the best performance of the year, but I, I just pulled out my phone and I'm looking at the movies that I've seen this year. And
1: would you I, agree, though, that there's I, not like a lot of yeah? Best really, year for lead male performance. Man, I
0: really don't know who would win. Besides, I, I mean, I definitely think Jill Nall is probably the best performance out of all 62 movies I've seen this year uh, for male lead. But otherwise, I mean, I don't think Johnny Depp was was better for this. Um. Yeah, Rachel, our producer, wrote down Tom Hardy, but I, I don't even think he would count for Mad Max. Um, but he was obviously really good in with the five words that he spoke. Um, Paul Rudd was really good in Ant Man, but that's never gonna win. I would say Paul Rudd is better than better than uh, Johnny Depp in Ant Man. Than Johnny Depp wasn't Black Mass personally, yeah.
1: Um,
0: but yeah, I really, I guess he could win. Uh, is uh, is the revenant gonna count for Leo? Yeah, it well, it, it okay, well, Leo's in, probably gonna talk about win. out of the
1: ones we've seen, and yeah, some people think, well, some people, well, Eddie, Eddie Redmayne might get, get a nomination too, but I you, hope we, not. We, so. what's not, uh, instead of looking at our movie list, uh, I mean, you still were very impressed with Fastbender, as was I. I thought, uh, he really became another person, and a lot of times when you see movies like this, you still can't, you can't, for, you just can't forget you're watching that actor, yeah. And I think he, that's that's just that's really a way I judge almost any performance is like, is this person doing a good job of becoming another person, or I'm can I, especially? And it's harder to, I mean, I guess when you're the bigger the movie star, the maybe the harder that is to do, but you're also a better actor, so it's easier for that person to transform. But like, I, I really did feel like I was watching someone else, and I think he's a and he really kind of actually went back and forth between having to be that cold businessman and like it was amazing because like he was being such an asshole in the first two acts about his daughter but like he very easily kind of slipped into like a different mode in scenes where he actually did have to interact with the kid like he's saying these terrible things and i'm i'm buying the fact that he actually believes those terrible things that he's saying but like he's pretty careful and not to be too harsh when he's speaking directly to her and i liked how he was able to quickly go between those two and that's probably what impressed me the most
0: yeah, no, he he was good. He was good. I mean, the more I think about it, I think he was probably a little better than I than I gave him credit for two minutes ago. But <laughs> but I th- he definitely brought life to the to the words that Sorkin wrote. Um, the co- the The comedy he pulled off was really good. The assholeness was really good. The the nerd he pulled off was really good. Mm-hmm. The um, what do you call it? Uh, I guess we didn't really see the launch. The launches.
1: I I thought maybe I thought maybe it was going to end with him like at least giving one of those t- powerful Steve Jobs speeches. I mean, yeah. I I'm not complaining too much about it cuz we got plenty of him talking throughout the movie. It just that seemed like almost like a logical place for it to go, but it, it I didn't I really... actually
0: thought they were going to just pan to the actual audience? No, 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 to the actual Steve Jobs oh, okay. presentation of in 98 yeah. of the iMac, but they didn't but they didn't do that.
1: Okay. Well, do you want to let's just talk about the other uh the other performances that we like because I think we have some things to say about one of the other performances in particular. What do you think about Seth Rogen? Because this was obviously a, 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 a against type turn for him.
0: Yeah, he was really good. He was really good.
1: I, w- I would have liked uh, a little more of it because he really yeah. only had, like we said, it was like they kind of just took turns bringing these people in and out. And I, at, at times it felt a little more natural, and at times it felt like, all right, this guy's up now to try and win this scene and get his Oscar attention and he probably because they did it like that instead of threading them a little more seamlessly throughout the movie I think that probably hurts award chances because you can look back and be like that guy got three scenes are we really going to give him an Oscar for three scenes there's so much category fraud with like Oscars these days where you put people that really should be in the lead and supporting he'll be going up against those people and like other supporting actors that really actually had more than a couple scenes and I really thought he did those very well but I don't I just I would have liked to have seen more of it because it was interesting, we talked about how just in addition to liking his performance, we would have liked more of that storyline,
0: yeah, yeah, I think I think part of the reason I'm hesitant is just because I wanted more of mm-hmm. I wanted to know more about his character because mm-hmm. I think that when they did the flashbacks to him and Fastbender in the garage that it was interesting to see this young guy being like, No, you're wrong, like this is what I want to do.' rather than just succumbing to whatever Fastbender wants, which is what most people do throughout the movie. And then the scenes where he's, um, where they're fighting back and forth in the, from on stage to when he's sitting in the audience, was, it was fine. Uh, the last scene was better than the, the previous two, but I think the scene in the orchestra room was probably the best scene mm-hmm. for him and mm-hmm. Fastbender f- throughout the movie.
1: Yeah. What do you? Uh, and how about Michael Stolbarg? Were you able to the fact that you you, as you put it, he turned into a fat walking phoenix. He looks the movie just like a fat
0: walking phoenix. I can't make that up.
1: I'm did sorry. That, did that uh, take away from his performance for you, or did you did you enjoy what he did?
0: No, no, he was really good outside of the outside of the, the character development problems I had he, when he whatever he was saying. Yeah, the what, stuff with the daughter. But the like, way he did it was well done, though it was not earned.
1: Yeah, and I I, I think part of it for me did, did I, have you watched Portwalk Empire.
0: Uh, not enough to comment
1: okay well he I I never watched the last season but I I watched the first four and he uh, he played Arnold Rothstein the gangster on there who's like a very very dapper gentleman and doesn't carry himself like a gangster carries himself like a very clean cut businessman Mm -hmm. And this is just like a schlubby computer programmer. And I think for me, I probably gave him extra points just because like the only other thing I'd ever see... Well, he was at the very beginning of Seven Psychopaths. And he was... <laughs> I, really,
0: I actually liked him. You know?
1: And uh, at the very beginning of Seven Psychopaths, he actually has a scene with Michael Pitt. Both, the- It's just funny. They're both from Boardwalk Empire and that's their only scene in that movie. And I like that. But like I knew... Because I only knew him doing a totally different thing, I think I gave him extra points in my book for this. But like I enjoyed what he did and I enjoyed his uh, interactions with... Um, I enjoyed his interactions with um Fassbender. With Fassbender, even if I thought they like you said they he could have that character could have been interwoven a little more seamlessly throughout just like uh, rogan 's character but I thought he pl- he played what he was given very well,
0: yeah, what about um our boy jeffrey
1: i I think I kind of made it <laughs> clear earlier I thought i mean he it didn 't like i mean i 'm not as down on him in general as you are, but like i just did i really in addition to just not liking what that second scene stood for, I thought the I thought, like, just one of the times where they showed his face in the flashback in that second act, like, he just looked ridiculous when he was yelling at him. <laughs> like, he looked, I, I he looks loud. so old. Well, yeah, they really tried to age him up. I mean, he's 60 in real life, and they did a good job of making him look younger in the, the, the way back flashbacks. And, like, I thought he was fine in those scenes, but I just thought, like, he looked ridiculous in one of the scenes where he was yelling at him. Like, it just seemed over the top, and maybe it was just because he was going playing across Fastbender who just... Seemed to who inhabited that character a lot more effectively, I thought than than Daniels probably did there. But I mean, I just didn't really like him in that second act because I didn't like the way they brought that character in for that second act, and I thought he kind of seemed ridiculous in some of the screaming matches they were having. But I mean, he was fine in the the third act. They didn't give him too much to do to to mess up. Yeah, but, thank I mean, God. Like I I think I don't know if like you have anything to add to that. Like
0: if he's, it, he's like, just too cheeky for me at this yeah. point. I don't know.
1: I mean, he, he's, I don't he, want he, I, I, I so un- to, I can't see with him next, next.
0: Will McAvoy and I hate Will McAvoy. So <laughs> that's, I, I'm sorry, Jeff, kind of,
1: but, but <laughs> the thing is like, I I feel like I would, we would have almost drilled on this more if we didn't have so much more to say about Kate Winslet. Yeah, and I, I think that's where we have to where we need to end the performance section of this yeah and because it was really funny because like we I think we enjoyed the scene with her in the first act and that was yeah. really cool and yeah she was good the whole first act I was probably like my favorite because like most of the problems I had didn't really arise till later on in the movie and I thought they just kind of seamlessly had these conversations a little bit better and they flowed a little better as opposed to being kind of like a revolving door of let's bring this actor in let's bring that actor in that stuff didn't bother me as much in the first act so I was enjoying the first act a lot more. Then the second act starts and Kate Winslet comes on and then all of a sudden I hear like a little bit of a European dialect and I'm a little confused and I'm trying, I'm racking my brain. I'm like, wait, was that there in the first act? And then Anthony leans over to me and he's like, where the hell did that accent come from? And I'm like, okay, I, 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 okay. so that was right. That wasn't there in the first act. And she inexplicably like has an accent, Eastern European accent in the second act and then it gets a little heavier in the third act which is 10 years later. And at that point we figured out, well, I guess she's from another country, but like when you've been in a country for 14 years, shouldn't your accent become less
0: noticeable? It was so strange. And then they it's just like, oh, you're from Poland and then they started to make like there was like two or three eastern european jokes that did not hit and they it was not, I didn't it even was notice. yeah, exactly. And it was it was so confusing. Like I was I was I it really, it really I takes you out of
1: the movie cuz you're hearing this and you're like How does, like, the director, the writer, any person on this movie set, any editor in (laughs) post-production, how does no one notice? Most movies are in post-production for, like, close to a year after they're done filming. And some do reshoots, especially big-budget movies like this. They do reshoots. It's something that you can do. How does not one damn editor on this movie be like? Wait, she has a goddamn accent that wasn't there for the first forty-five minutes of the movie. Maybe we should fix that. How does that not happen? Wait, how how does no one notice? Because I know it's even more crazy. Because I've been reading. I I try not to read too much about movies before I go in to see them. I want to go in a little blind. But I just been reading a lot of stuff about the Oscars, as I've made clear throughout this podcast, and. The one thing, every time this movie comes up, Kate Winslet's best actress, best supporting actress frontrunner. It's like, how are you su- supporting actress frontrunner if you have an accent for a third, <laughs> two-thirds of a movie and not for the other third? I'm sorry, but like, how do you not pick up on how ridiculous that seems? I haven't read another writer that f- picked up on how ridiculous this is.
0: We're, uh, listen, Josh, we're the only two people so, in the world who did not no, like Matt, our Spies. Friend, so. Our friend
1: Matt did, too. He came he, after me. He, he, like, he was like, worried that... like. Did, was I the only one that heard that? I'm like, no, we heard it too. He's like, oh, okay, good. I'm like, I have no idea where that came from. So, at least three of the people in our theater saw it. So, I don't know how
0: everyone else that
1: worked on this movie didn't see it.
0: It was just so random. It was so unnecessary. And like,
1: every time she talked and every time it got like, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, because we already explained how there's this 10 year jump from 1988 to 1998. And there are times in 1998 where her accent is heavier than it was in 1988. Yet, she, as, as far as we know, she's living in America this whole time. <laughs> Does, did she have, like, some little Polish cult that she lived in, <laughs> like, when she wasn't with all the people from Apple, where she was just sp- speaking in Polish a lot, so it got harder for her to get rid of her accent? Like, I don't know. But... Like, it's a problem, though. Like, we're joking about <laughs> yeah. it, but it's, like, people... Like, I'm sure there are other people that picked up on this. I just haven't read about it, but you're sitting there, like, wondering how this happens in this movie instead of thinking about the movie. Yeah. And maybe that's why I missed the Poland jokes, because every time she talked, my mind went to, like, how did this happen? <laughs> and so I didn't pick up on these Polish jokes you were talking about, probably because I stopped thinking about the words on that are being said on the screen, and I'm thinking about how your entire production staff, like are dimwits. Like, yeah,
0: it was terrible. No, it was terrible. I, okay, uh, I'm sorry if uh, I went a little overboard there. No, but, it like, was it great. Just, Slash rant over. We're great. It was perfect, Josh. I mean, like, the thing is if... <laughs> rant uh, ran not over. Because uh, she, she's,
1: I mean, she's a great actress. I think she's been nominated for like five or six Oscars like in one once. Like, she's ca- perfectly capable of spitting out Aaron Sorkin dialogue, but just give her, like, make her
0: sound the same the whole movie and then it was hilarious when she did her rant in the third act and <laughs> in a polish accent and she's freaking out and like yelling yeah. but you can't tell because it's like polish but american and she's like getting loud but it's it's so strange it's so strange oh well oh. yeah do,
1: do, uh, is there anything else uh, yeah well yeah about? yeah one more thing i wanted yeah. to
0: say was i was surprised at how few people were in the theater i don't know if you picked up on that too yeah yeah, I mean, I would have expected the theater to at least be half full, and it was maybe a fourth full. If oh, yeah, I saw like seven people in there besides us, so I don't really know. Yeah, but, but I, yeah. Don't, I, th- I
1: think, I don't think, I mean, I hope they, they're probably hoping to break even on it, but I think that as long as they get a few Oscar nominations,
0: I don't think people are going to be too disappointed as long as it doesn't lose a lot of money. Yeah, so, so you want to talk about Jem now, or? Well, let's take a little break, and we're going to talk about Jem and the Holograms. Okay. So we're going to give a a shout-out to our future sponsor, MoviePass. Um, If you don't know what MoviePass is, MoviePass allows you to pay $30 a month, and they'll send you a credit card, like a visa. And what you do is you go to the theater, and you check in on your phone, and MoviePass will put money on your account for the exact amount of the ticket you're about to buy. And you can see as many movies as you want per month. The only catch being you can only see one movie per twenty four hours. So for you other movie buffs out there that are worried about how much money Josh and I are spending, it's just thirty dollars a month plus concessions.
1: And even if you aren't, even if you're not like a movie person that goes to see like sixty some, seventy something movies, like we'll end up seeing this year, if if you're, because if you're in a city that like actually is bigger than the one we're in, you're always going to spend at least eleven dollars or twelve dollars on a movie ticket. So if you even see two to three movies a month. It makes it worth it just because it's easier to budget, and it was a great purchase, and I wish I had gotten it before the beginning of the summer because Anthony's had it for a few months more than I did.
0: Shout out to MoviePass. Our future sponsor. All right, so back <laughs> we to... we give much, a lot of airtime time to anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to talk about Gem and the Holograms now. Um, if you haven't seen it, you probably haven't. Um, you might not be planning on it either, but
1: we saw it, so we wanted to talk yeah, about so
0: it. Yeah, so the plot of the movie is basically these two young girls get... They move to Pineview, California to live with their aunt because their, their dad passes away. Um, they don't tell us about their mother. It's really unimportant throughout the movie. The dad is the important figure. Um, so they go live with their aunt in Pineview. She has two foster children. So her and her little sister um, hang out with foster children. They grow up. Turns out that they're like a big singing family. They love performing and, and just kind of making music videos and recording things. So the main character, her name is Jerica. She is very good at singing, but she's very shy and won't share her her songs or her music with really even her family or anybody else. And one night, she kind of gets this, puts on this wig and kind of feels like a different person and puts a, and makes a, a YouTube video that she tries to delete but doesn't. So she, like, records one of her acoustic songs. Her sister finds it. She posts it on YouTube, and then they get a bunch of hits, and then... Um, turns out that uh, they sign a record deal, and it's just a story about this, this girl kind of like growing up and expressing herself. Um, so it's based on like a, I think a comic book from like the 80s and a TV show from the 80s. Um, it's, I think it's pretty interesting source material f- just from – I mean I don't know much about it, but from what I've read and what kind of what I've heard other people say – um, so, like, basically, in, like, the comics and stuff, this band fights other bands, like the Misfits and these other female, all-female group bands, and they kind of just, like, go at it, and it, I don't know, I think that the, it, it kind of reminded me of, like, a something that they could have taken the approach of, like, Scott Pilgrim, if they had kind of had taken that approach, I think I would have, I would have liked it even more, I, I actually kind of liked the movie, I mean, it's, it's not that good, oh. but I enjoyed it.
1: It's interesting, You it's interesting that you mentioned Scott Pilgrim, because I feel like, That movie focuses on the characters probably a lot more than this one did. Sure, but
0: I just mean in terms of like the sheer weirdness of it. I mean, this movie is so strange. It's like a sci-fi, Disney kids sing along. I I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was something.
1: Yeah, I think they could have uh, set up some of the sci-fi stuff a little more because it it bothered me a lot throughout the movie. Like, I guess we should just say like the hologram thing is like. Really, a good half of the movie is devoted to um, the girls and the person that's supervising their band, trying to figure out how to put together this invention that their dad left them that was not co- totally completed. And they have to go. The mission. Mich- it's like a. It's like a machine that kind of spits out different holograms that ultimately kind of leads them on a little bit of a
0: adventure. adventure. Yeah, they're on an adventure to solve, like all, find all the pieces to make the yeah. hologram machine work.
1: So it's yeah, it spits out those holograms and they kind of follow that as like a little treasure hunt. And I just felt myself like not caring about it throughout a lot of the movie. And I, at first, I was mad. I was mad at the end of the movie for like spending so much time on it. But then I realized, well, they're being loyal to source material here. It's a dumb thing to get mad about, Josh. But I realized like they're trying to tie this all under the dad. And it's something where they probably it was somehow a two hour movie and <laughs> like, I don't know how, cause it always boggles my mind when like two hour movies don't really have good development of characters, even though like this had more character development than like, Bridge even the of spies. The, even <laughs> the Bridge of spies <laughs> We're going to keep fa- going back to that. Just, this why, you're despite the fact it's literally 72 points lower on Rotten tomatoes, it did have more character development than Bridge of spies. But in, in that two hours, I think they could have found a way to do a few more flashbacks to the dad and just made me care a little bit more about the dad instead of having like, just a few like snippets of old footage of the dad talking to them as he was working on his machine. Cause I felt like I just, I would have cared a little bit more about why she was so obsessed with completing this thing if I kind of understood. Like, I get that like they're, they're obviously their mom was never in the picture and then the dad just very suddenly leaves. So I understand that's important to him, but like why this machine really mattered at all. Like, I felt like they could have spent a little more time setting that up and then I would have been invested in the other half. Cause like, I thought the other half of the movie had the potential to be really good if you're just focusing on like a girl being thrown into the music industry. There's a lot of good stuff, to my, got good potential material to mine there. But as you said, that was also very limited by the fact that it was a PG movie.
0: Yeah, that's that was what I was going to bring up. The first thing I said to Josh after the movie was, the biggest problem with it is that it was PG. And you have these characters who are like, oh, we're rock and roll stars, and we're doing this. And it's like, you got these kids that are going to to Hollywood that are I living guess, in a mansion by living, themselves living in LA and it's like it's like we have this history of these of these child uh, singers who get into drugs and get into these problems and this is this is a lot lighter obviously like this is what the source material is and they're trying to like show like they're just like this is for, this is a movie for kids This is, that's what it is and I just don't think that it needed to be necessarily I think they could have brought a lot more edge to it if like you can make it PG-13 and like still kid friendly yeah but I think that I think it would have been much more interesting. Like, the actually one thing that bothered me was I did not know how old she was throughout the movie, and it, it really bothered me because then she started making guy. out with a, like a twenty year old dude, and I was like really creeped out. But then the actress is actually twenty two. Yeah, I, uh, I knew the, I, I don't know. It, I thought she was playing sixteen. I think she
1: was. I think she's. Why is she making out with a twenty-year-old? Because we know that. Well, do, I, do we? Well, do we know they're in school? I guess we know they're. I know. You didn't see any scenes in school. I, know, I guess, didn't the school, I don't I guess. Know, they didn't even mention well, school. They never mentioned college or anything. I just assumed she was in high school because she like was living at home with her aunt. Like it wasn't like she was out on her own in any way. They don't mention college, so I'm assuming she's like seventeen. Her little sister's like fourteen or fifteen, and her foster sisters are just somewhere in under eighteen. But yeah. then like they have they bring in the romantic interest who's clearly referred to as a college student, and that actor is also, like, 28 years old. Yeah. It's like, you have a 28-year-old actor and, like, a 16-year-old female character that, and it's like, this is just... <laughs> yeah, it was a little weird,
0: movie. for sure. And
1: I didn't also think... Like, I just thought that whole love interest aspect of it also wasn't set up correctly. Like, that's fine. If you're gonna do a movie like this, you you need to have a love interest, but I thought like it just seemed like lazy writing in the way that they set that up and like i know it's a relatively minor part of this film given that so much of it's more about their band as a whole and the hologram thing Mm. but it's like she starts going through a little bit of a crisis because like the whole point is that like this record producer played by juliette lewis is trying to make these girls very mysterious and they wear a bunch of eye makeup and you don't know their true identities and wigs and everything she's very shy and she's portraying this whole other character and understandably yes that should be something that might trouble her a little bit and she must have a little bit of problem with that but then she goes to show up and talk she randomly walks into the room that this love interest character named rio is staying in and he's like only wearing a towel and it's like oops sorry about that but it's like and he's like oh let me go change so he goes and changes and then he's he's like what's up and she's like i just have all these problems and i have no one else to talk to you about it's like You have three sisters with you that you, like, are clearly very close to who, like, there's no reason you can't have a conversation with them. It's, like, I thought there would have been, like, a more not-so-contrived way to set that up, and that just bothered me in the moment. But, like I said, there was some interesting things they could have done here because I think it is, like, an interesting conceit for a movie where, like, it's – while there are a lot of movies about show business out there, like, how many movies over the last few years have there actually been about something like this specifically, like, girls – being new to the scene or something like that. I think it's a potentially very rich source material and rich subject matter that we don't see explored often. And I just, that's why like as much as, as, as like lowly rated as this movie is, and as few people are probably seeing it based on the attendance in our theater. I feel like we're still talking about it because we think that it had the potential. And while neither of us completely hated it, like bridge of spies or something like that, like we do think it has the potential to be so much more.
0: Yeah, like you said, uh, Rachel wrote down the Runaways on a piece of notepad paper for us. I actually haven't seen that. Yeah, that's also like a it's a it's a true story, so it's like a biopic, right? So yeah, it's different than this. Um, I just think that they didn't really take that many risks when I think it could have been so much more like interesting if they did. Like the first thing I thought of was Scott Pilgrim because of how weird this movie was. It was like sort of sci-fi. Like we need to solve this problem, and I think it's interesting. That, like, it's an interesting journey, but they just they just made it PG, which is, I don't know, it's, makes it a little boring for us. I mean, yeah, we're 24, but maybe we shouldn't be seeing this movie <laughs> alone at a matinee showing. Sure. But, um,
1: I don't know. I, we, we were almost alone. That would have been really funny if we were the
0: only two in there. But then another family joined us. <laughs> Josh and I are not a family, but, yes, a, a, family, yeah, yes. a family joined us. Um, and... Yeah, so I just think that I think that it could have been it could have been more interesting, and I think that I read a lot of things that the music was terrible. I didn't think it was that terrible. I just think it. They're like I thought, the, keep, I thought the main song in that was better than Pitch Perfect two. Oh my god, yeah. I, I probably
1: in, I mean I enjoyed Pitch Perfect two more than you, but as a movie, I think. But I, I agree, the music in that wasn't very good, and they're both universal things. Um, ironically, they dropped a Haley Steinfeld song in there, which, <laughs> and she was in Pitch Perfect two, and but um the original songs in here were better than what they did in pitch perfect 2 yeah and
0: i think it's i think it's interesting to like see this 18 year old girl who's like scared of of sharing the music and like her story of being like an inspiration to other people to be able to to be able to like share themselves and not be able to and like be able to shy away from who they really are because it's like this girl has to dress up and like be someone different in order to express herself and I mean, I get, like, you know, that's not what you ultimately want as a person. You want to be able to be yourself and express yourself and make music and all that. And I think they just should have explored that more than... And I
1: thought she I thought she was really good. i never seen her yeah. in
0: anything before. I don't yeah. think I've seen...
1: And I thought the girl that played her sister, I think she's doing some other things. I think her name's Stephanie Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she's been doing some other things lately and gotten some roles and other stuff. The, the other two girl, sister, the two foster sisters weren't really as experienced actors. It's because they're not white, Josh. Well, they just didn't cast experienced actresses for those roles, so they, didn't, they just didn't give them much to do.
0: Which is fine.
1: Yeah, you don't need to have every character get a lot to do, but I thought you could have had them interacting more and given her a little more, because I thought she actually was very good. But and I, it, the way they kind of set up, and we're not giving anything away by talking about this, because the trailer kind of gives it away. And because you haven't seen it. Well, that, well, that too, but but like the trailer gives away how the band has a little bit of a fracturing. It only lasts for a little bit, but the um i didn't like the way it was set up it's like she has to go sign sign away her whole band and go solo f- for reasons that aren't really explained given the fact that they're kind of killing it at every single performance that they do so it's unclear why they want her to go solo but it's not like any of the other band members are terrible but they they could have actually derived there's a lot of interesting drama that because these girls are so clearly close and then to have them actually rip apart believably would have been an interesting thing to explore but they open and close it so quickly and don't set it up that well. And I thought you could have given these actresses some moments interacting with each other aside from going on treasure hunts.
0: Yeah, and especially with like her having her her biological sister and then the two foster sisters. And I th- actually thought it was kind of weird that they, I don't know, I just think that the little sister might have been even like jealous because like all these holograms and stuff were just about... Just about the older sister and her dad, and it was—I don't know—it was interesting to think like what the other sister would think. I mean, I, I guess know. she
1: was just younger, so at
0: that point, yeah. like she would she not even have been able able to even born to in anyway. some of those scenes either.
1: She might not have been born in some, and yeah. other she wouldn't have been able to talk, sure, presumably. Sure. So. I... I kind of get that but you know i i agree what you're saying like they could have ex- just explored that relationship a little more because
0: yeah you get that they they're, they like each other a little more but like well if because like the thing is they said like oh you remember when dad used to take us to the carnival or whatever to the pier oh yeah i remember that it was our favorite spot and it's like oh, okay but you only show one of you at the pier it's like i don't know it was kind of random but i, I wish it would have been better for sure but i'm not i don't i'm not mad that i
1: saw it Interesting thing look interesting looking here at the IMDB. Their aunt was played by Molly Ringwald. I didn't I didn't pick up on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't I really actually didn't know that either. Uh
1: what what do you what, what do you think about uh Juliet Lewis playing that somewhat evil record executive that was kind of like the one other character that was developed to a certain extent. What did you think of her performance? Uh
0: just literally to Hollywood. I mean, it was. It, it was. It like they were cliche. trying to make it a little bit of a character, and yeah, it was cliche. I, I actually liked the way that they kind of dealt with her and her son, and the way that they um kind of like solved the mm-hmm. problem with with going solid or having the band. Um You didn't find it too predictable because we won't ex- did reveal you, how. Well, did you? Know? I, I didn't. Pay, I, yeah, so I I didn't you pick didn't up pick on up on it. I didn't. So. so I mean, like, I, that's, that's what, what I was think
1: was it was fine. Cool. I mean, I, you you saw it coming. Though, yeah, so I, I saw like, it, but I still but I still liked it. How they I still I
0: still believed it, and it was. I mean, it's kind of cliche but at the same time like if i am okay with it and i believe it then it's partly earned yeah
1: yeah and uh i i would have liked like i kind of said earlier like she tries to like i I wish it would have like showed her being kind of good at her job a little more too like we were talking yeah 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 for sure obviously like she she kind of she kind of took her like took over the company at some point from her late husband but it also seemed like she was good at her job, and everyone kind of recognized her as being yeah. in the movie as like a famous person. So she obviously had good things, and she clearly had an idea for what she wanted to do. But it's like maybe have her kind of explain how she thinks the industry reacts yeah. to stuff, and how what it takes to sell a girl, a young girl band, or something like that. Because yeah. she's just so insistent on signing her as a solo act, and I'm like, I mean i don't know much about music uh it's just me like it's just not one of my main interests but i like i'm like i'm trying to figure out is it because i don't know anything about music that i don't understand why this girl is while she's talented is so much better as a solo act away from her three bandmates that don't really do anything that makes performances bad like i would have liked to have seen her thoughts behind that because that would have set up the whole contract situation better too and it would have told us a little bit more about how she, how the Juliet Lewis character thinks as an executive, and given just developed her a little more, and this is something small that I thought they could have done. But like I said, overall, I, I wasn't bored, and yeah, it's it's like that that's something that'll get you above uh, like Bridge of Spies on my <laughs> list of movies this year, and that's like that's just a one thing a movie can do as long as you're not like making me look at my, as long as I'm not like looking at my watch, then like you've done something right.
0: Yeah. No, no, for sure. And I, it's interesting that you brought that up because I like the idea that they were going to do three pop-up shows in California. And the idea behind like pop-up shows is just, you're just generating, you're, you're, you're manufacturing the interest, right? Because you're like making this thing limited so that the demand is higher than the supply. It's Kind of of like free marketing in a way. Exactly. Things go viral and you're not having to buy ads. Exactly. Exactly. And so you just, you negotiate for a a thing for a venue and then you have the show and it's crazy and it's always okay, so like that was one thing that they did yeah, that it's, showed it's, her. it's an interesting idea and yes. then it's like because I think Juliet Lewis's character says something about you guys are just in LA now like this isn't super global and I think they mentioned that the the hits on the YouTube video were something like 35,000 maybe I don't remember the specific number I assumed it was gonna be more well, that was like in one night I mean, you know, yeah To yeah, right. sure. know that it probably blew up yeah. even further But I think that. it's interesting to, to to have them w- would have been interesting to have them go from these pop-up shows to, to Staples center or something or, or more, I don't know if it'll go on it, a, 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 but based on the ending, it seems like there's going to be a second, a second movie here. And I hope that they take advantage uh, of it and, yeah, and make it a PG 13 movie and, and I don't know, and, and make it better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll see it. Yeah, no, we'll, <laughs> we'll see it. So, um, I think that's going to wrap it up for this podcast uh again thanks for listening uh, next week i think uh it's not a big weekend of new
1: releases next weekend but this might be the weekend if
0: you we see the last witch hunter right you no can go to that one. you, can, you no? can go to that
1: one by yourself i i i, I we, we do have other responsibilities in in life like school and movies take priority over have been taking priority over a lot of school things this semester but i don't think the last witch hunter for me will be one of those <laughs> movies it might be for anthony and then i can just ask him questions about it on the next podcast but if if Mississippi Grind's not getting a wide release to our city soon, I think we might go ahead and watch that, and and then maybe like I, was, I mentioned last week, Beast of No Nation, because that's gotten very good reviews, and uh, we're big Idris Elba fans. So I think I, stringer. I, yeah, so I think that we might be we might do those two plus a uh, Josh interviews Anthony about Vin Diesel and The Last Witch Hunter, and that might be next week's podcast because they're just. For some reason, even though the, all the great movies come out in the fall, we're kind of like in a in a two weekend drought outside of Steve Jobs getting its wide release.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. So I think Spectre is the next big movie that's coming out. So <laughs>
1: yes, uh, the weekend after is Spectre and Room, which uh, we're both excited about too. So it, after next weekend, we'll be back to seeing the theatrical things that are really good. So, but we won't we won't leave you
0: guys podcast list for a week. Yeah. So again, please. Uh Listen on SoundCloud, subscribe on iTunes, whichever is your preferred method.
1: Got a sweet logo coming soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah,
0: sweet logo coming soon. Shout out to uh, Kevin May if you're ever listening. He's going to make a dope logo. If you ever need any logos, hit up my boy Kevin May. Um, You can find me on Twitter, Clambake, A-K-L-A-M-B-A-K-E. And Josh? At Josh Jernivoy,
1: J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y.
0: Again, thanks for listening. Thanks to our producer, Rachel. I was going
1: to say, she's up really late with us here on a Saturday night when she could have been getting a full night's sleep or going Uh, out and enjoying herself. She's here recording a podcast with us. So we really appreciate her for that.
0: All right. Thanks guys.